Roto Grinders presents your first word in daily fantasy sports. The Morning Grind, Stevie TPFL and Company are here to jumpstart your analysis on today's DFS slate. Without further ado, here's your host, Stephen Young. Hey everyone, welcome to the Roto Grinders Morning Grind podcast. I'm your host, Stevie TPFL. It's Wednesday, it is February 20th, it's 2019, and we're going to talk some baseball. I got clearance from the boss that I was allowed to talk baseball today, and you guys know how much I love me some baseball. I'm also joined by my colleague, my good buddy. Um, I, I call you my good buddy because this is this is me me saying I have a ton of respect for Cardi. We don't always agree on everything, but I have a ton of respect for you and your work. Derek Cardi, how are you doing, my friend? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me on. And that respect definitely goes both ways. Like you said, we kind of come at things from different angles, but there's there's a lot of respect, and I, you know, I think you do great work. So I'm not even gonna I'm not even gonna start with BVP or James McCann or any of that good stuff. Um, what they want. <laughs> we we will I'm sure we will get there at some point. Um, so we'll we'll have some fun with it. But uh, we're here to talk some baseball. You know, we are sponsored by Fantasy Draft. If you guys haven't checked out Fantasy Draft, make sure you head on over to check them out. It's FantasyDraft.com. They got a bunch of stuff going on right now. PGA, NHL. Their NBA stuff will be up soon. We'll be able to start talking about NBA again tomorrow. Will be joining me. We'll be breaking down tomorrow's slate, first slate back from the All-Star break. So if you want some information about basketball or Fantasy Draft, make sure you go to rotorgrinders.com. Sign up through the Rotogrinders links for Fantasy Draft. They're an awesome sponsor of the podcast each and every day. Uh, give them some love over there. That's all that, Derek. Let's talk some baseball. We do have these. So last year, we really pushed for draft to do MLB best balls. We, we, you know, we saw them do it for football. They wouldn't do it for basketball and they wouldn't do it for baseball last year. Well, this year they've come around to the idea and we have MLB best balls. Now I started doing some today. MLB or NBA all-star break is always my first look into baseball for the upcoming season. You've probably been looking at baseball stuff for months now. Tell me some stuff that, you know, you think happened this off season that could be important. Um, is, is there anything outside of Manny Machado getting paid way too much money? Um, we can even start there. Um, <laughs> wherever you want to start, we'll start there. I mean, there's a lot to talk about. Machado got, got a lot of money and from a team where he's not going to put them in a position to win this year, probably not next year either. So it was a kind of an interesting signing. I thought for Machado, it's, it's a Padres team that, it looks like it's very much banking on their their farm system coming through and in a couple of years having a bunch of, you know, at least quality players, if not studs, and uh, kind of having the pieces to, to build around Machado because right now there is not enough around him for them to even be a 500 team. Yeah, so much money for him. Uh, did did San Diego not learn from the A-Rod deal? Like, uh, you know, spread... spread <laughs> like, spread, spread that money out, man. Um I, I just didn't get it. I, I Manny Machado, good for you, buddy. Um, three hundred million dollars to live in San Diego. Like, congrats, you, you struck gold. Um, that's crazy. Um, let's start. Let's start with some best balls. Um, 
you know, obviously you do a lot with the bat, um, you know, projection models and stuff like that. Um, so obviously you probably know looking at the bat guys, you are really high on guys that might be undervalued. Um, let's start with best balls. If you're looking at like the three top hitters that you're, you know, you're targeting this off season for any season long games, maybe best balls, who are your three hitters that like you want to target no matter what? It's definitely Mike Trout. If at all possible, you want the first pick and you want Mike Trout in pretty much every format because Mike Trout is amazing and he's a golden god and you want him on your team. He gives you a huge advantage, especially in this best ball format. He's way more valuable than anybody else. After him, you're looking at Mookie Betts and J.D. Martinez, who are both great in their own right, but they're not Trout. Yeah, well, Mookie's better than Trout, so you're right. Um, Stevie, again, you did, you did not just say Mookie's better than Trout. Please Mookie help. is better than Trout. Like I'm a Red Sox fan. Mookie's better than Trout. All right, I, all I'll, right. I'll give you, I'll give you Trout's better than JD Martinez, but Mookie's the best player in baseball. Like, who won MVP last year? Mookie won MVP. That's but... right, most valuable player. <laughs> most valuable is not best. There's a difference. Uh, I love Mookie. Um, Trout is the best player in baseball. I love busting your chops. Uh, Trout's a beast, but. I, I honestly like in best ball formats and season long formats, like if you're not getting trout or bets, we're starting to look at pitchers then. Right. Um, with as, as heavily weighed as drafts, you know, as heavily away as the strikeouts are on draft, like we're looking at Scherzer sailing to Grom if we're not getting Mookie or trout. Right. Yeah. They're, they're a clear top three tier in terms of pitchers. And we were kind of talking before the show a little bit about some of their ADPs, and they, they're going way too low. Um, I kind of ran the, the, the format through the, the Fangraphs auction calculator with the bat to see how it kind of valued everybody in this format, because I haven't played it yet, but I want to. Um, and after Trout, the next three best players on the board are those three pitchers, and that's not where the ADPs are falling right now. So, like, you can, you know – get a lower pick and wind up with the second best player on the board. Yeah. So how I set my rankings up, like just, you know, to give you guys an idea is I have trout one bets two, and then I have Scherzer and we might not disagree. We might disagree with this one a little bit, but I actually have Degrom above sale. Um, well, sale is your three then sale is my three. Um, I mm. really like Scherzer coming into the year. I don't think we really see him regress too much. And how can we argue with Degrom right now? The guy is just—he's elite, and then Sales elite. Um, they're—they're they're the three best pitchers in baseball, and really, like, I don't think you're going wrong with any of those three. But that's how I would rank them. Yeah, I think I'd go Sale, Scherzer, Degrom, and it's close. It's splitting hairs between all of them, but I just think Sale is a better pitcher than Scherzer. And is getting way more run support than either are going to get, but especially DeGrom. And so in a format where wins are important, I think Sale is the, the number one. But you really can't go wrong with any of the three. The real question is, some of these ADPs, you know, have me a little stumbled. Um, I'm guessing Francisco Lindor, like he is an ADP top 10. And we might see him drop, but like, you're playing three infielders and three outfielders. Now, don't get me wrong. Francisco Lindor can do a lot. This guy is a guy that can hit home runs, RBIs. He gets runs scored, and he steals some bases. But are we really ranking Lindor ahead of some of these other guys like 
Stanton, Judge, you know, Goldie, like the home run power guys? I certainly wouldn't be. And I kind of – I played uh, some best balls in NFBC last year, and I'd imagine we're seeing kind of a similar thing here with, with draft is that people – I don't know, for whatever reason, they're like, you don't need to account for the position scarcity of a shortstop in this league because right. you don't have to play a shortstop. But it almost seems like sometimes people just kind of have that in their mind. And, you know, for whatever reason, they kind of mentally bump a guy like Lindor up when you don't need to in this format. Yeah. So, you know, first thing that I'm noticing here, and we kind of chatted about this before we got started, is home runs stolen bases are really valued high like a stolen base is higher than a single in this um i'm gonna be attacking like i'm gonna be attacking home run guys i'm gonna be looking you you draft 18 people you use your nine highest scores three pitchers three infielders three outfielders um in this format I'm going to be just straight up looking for home runs like i'm going to be playing or i'm going to draft aaron judge i'm going to draft Freddie Freeman. I'm going to draft these home run guys. Um, and like, I'm probably ranking guys that steal bases higher than like a Francisco Lindor. Yeah. Lindor had a really good year last year, but I, he's a guy that I have like really low expectations for after last year's year. Yeah. That really does seem to be the way to do it. You know, uh, I'm looking at guys like Lindor, these kind of, you know, higher average guys, you know, the guys without the power, but maybe, you know, are more slap hittery and like they don't project as well. And then the raw power guys are just off the charts. Like Joey Gallo is the bat's sixth favorite hitter in this format, which is just insane. Like he's sandwiched between Jose Ramirez and Freddie Freeman. Like in this format, his skill set is perfect. And it seems like people aren't adapting to it because what did you say his ADP was like 71 or something? Yeah, it's like 72.3 um yeah, like way down a massive bargain anywhere you're getting joey gallo yeah and like guys that like change ballparks you know that's another thing you gotta kind of consider and think about like it, not the best example but yasiel puig going from the dodgers ballpark to playing half of his games in cincinnati like how many more home runs could he possibly hit in a ballpark like that and you know valuing your your reds and your rockies those are shouldn't even be compared but um and just some of these ballparks like you know you you and i and everybody else we always talk about ballparks and how important it is but you know you could even talk about it even more i know you've done a ton of research on ballparks and weather and stuff but wouldn't you be valuing your better ballpark hitters uh before some of these guys that may play in san diego Absolutely, especially the guys who are shifting parks. Like a guy like Puig projects really, really well in this format, kind of as you alluded to. And he's a guy who I would imagine I would be targeting here at his ADP. He's probably, you know, probably below Gallo. He's probably, I would guess, like, you know, 80th or something like that. And he's probably a top 30 or 35 hitter. So, you know, those guys, they just seem to be undervalued in this format for, you know, reasons. I guess being just that people maybe aren't fully accounting for, you know, how the scoring affects individual skill sets. Yeah. There's just, I'm going to throw out a few more names really quick as I keep scrolling down here. Like David Dahl would be a guy that I think is a nice value at 95.8. Um, Daniel Murphy at 91 shifting over to the Rockies. Like, 
does a bat have a, a solid projection on a guy like Murphy, you know, who was kind of banged up last year, getting a complete reset here now going to um, Colorado? Yeah, it uh, it likes Murphy, but the, I guess the problem a little bit with Murphy is that in this format, you don't have to play a second baseman. So, you know, it kind of likes the power hitting first baseman a little bit more, but it does have Murphy as I think the 60th best uh, player on the board or hitter on the board, which is pretty good. And if he does kind of recover from that injury and is obviously going to be aided by cores, you know, there, there's big upside for him. Um, I'm just, I'm just scrolling down to see like, if there's any like ones that are like, wow, why is he so low? Um, but some of these guys deserve to be down here. <laughs> <laughs> I see, I see a lot of Dodger pitchers down here. Um, Derek, you know, your your beloved Dodger pitchers, but I love Dodgers pitchers. They, they we, can be frustrating for fantasy though. More, more so for DFS in a format like a best ball, I would be much more likely to take a Dodgers pitcher than you know, in DFS, because if he gets yanked a little early by Dave Roberts, a few starts, you know, so be it. You don't have to guess which starts those are going to be, you know, you just kind of play it out the whole year and you wind up with, with a season worth of really good numbers, even, you know, maybe you don't get quite as many innings as you want, but the ratios are going to be elite no matter what Dodger pitcher you pick really. Yeah. You know, the DFS thing is these guys are priced up through the roof because they're really good pitchers and they just go out and throw 90 pitches, but in a best ball, 90 pitches two times in one week, and that could be the highest scoring pitcher in best ball formats. So really good. Depending on like when you when you could get those guys um, and when you could buy those guys and potentially get them low. But I think the biggest takeaway that I've seen here is get your strikeout heavy pitchers and try to load up on first baseman in your infield. Uh, like Derek said. You're not playing second baseman. You're not playing shortstops. You're not playing third baseman. You're not playing first baseman. You're playing infielders. So get the big bats. Um, that's how I'm going to be attacking. Like I said, I got like three or four of these going now, and I'll probably do 30 to 50 more before the season starts. And I'm going to be looking at strikeout heavy pitchers and big-time bats. That, that's going to be my strategy in these things. I think that's the way to do it. Prioritize the power and, and the big arms. So it's a best ball format. It's, uh, you know, you draft it and you're done. We all know Vlad Guerrero Jr. is a guy that right when he can get called up, he's probably getting called up. Um, you know, Joe Adele, Adele, right? Is it Adele? I think it's Adele. Yeah. Um, for the Angels, Fernando Tatis, um, Jimenez, like Robles. Those are the top five, right? We're almost like floats, but I'm pretty yeah. sure that's the last top five that I that I've saw. Would you take shots later in later in these drafts on maybe some of these like big prospects that could change like the second half of your best ball season? I know we look at prospects differently, you and I. Um, but like, it, are any of these prospects just guys that you might just take shots on over? a 35 year old, <laughs> I don't even know somebody <laughs> off the top of my head. Um, Miguel Cabrera or somebody. It's an interesting dynamic because obviously you're trading off a player contributing every single week for a player who's only going to contribute some of the weeks, but his contributions are going to be big in those weeks. Now you get, it looks like a really big bench in this format. It looks like nine starters and nine bench players. And so I don't have a problem taking a shot 
especially on Vlad Guerrero because he's just so freaking good. I don't know if I dig too deep, and I definitely wouldn't roster too many of these guys, but if you have one or two of your bench spots on them, I think that's completely fine. But I think if you start trying to load up on the young guys who aren't in the majors yet, you're really going to hamstring yourself because you're going to be essentially locking in production at a certain number of spots without uh, any other options. Like certain guys, no matter what they do certain weeks, you're going to have to be rostering them if you have too many of these young guys. Yeah, so like Vlad, um, I just searched really quick. He His average ADP is about 55. Um, that's really high. That's I don't really think high. I would be taking him that high. No, I would not either. I like he's, He actually projects for negative value in this format. So you really are banking on him coming in and being awesome in the time that he actually plays because overall he's not going to return positive value. Yeah, I just – I don't think that I could take him that high. Like Fernando Tatis doesn't, uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. doesn't even have an ADP. And that might be a guy you snag like with your last like one or two picks because he's another guy that I really do think we'll, we'll see get called up towards the end of the year, maybe even middle of the year. Um, so yeah, just some of these prospects uh, with my last few picks, like I'm probably taking shots on those guys over like uh, Jimmy Nelson. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying I'm just trying to I'm just trying to think of names off the top of my head. Yeah. The old the old guys. Um anyway. All right, let's let's shift let's shift gears here. I think we talked a lot about best balls. Um excellent value for Dustin Pedroia though. He's like 215. He should be top 15. Um yeah, just, all right. <laughs> completely joking. Um so let's just talk let's talk some general DFS or even just baseball strategy. And now this is one of the reasons that I like working with you because we look at things way differently and we both have really good results. So this is why I love doing shows with people that have different perspectives of how things work. And, you know, I've played baseball my whole life. I look at baseball from a statistic standpoint more than, non-statistics i don't just watch the games and oh that guy you know he's hitting the ball hard right now we need to play him <laughs> now you know all this stat cast stuff and we can actually really do you know x woba and all this stuff and see when people are actually really hitting the ball hard let's talk some general baseball strategy what are like the important things for you I, you know, even though you like a large sample size, you're still looking for these matchups to take advantage of, you know, certain matchups. Absolutely. It's, it's a combination of what you think the player's underlying talent level is and how good the matchup is. Pretty much any player, even the, even really bad players are playable in DFS on days when their matchup is really good and their price is really low. You know, sometimes for some guys, the price has to be really, really low but there is always that point, you know, that uh, equilibrium for pretty much every player. And so matchup is really important to be able to understand and evaluate properly, I think. Yeah, matchup is a great thing. And I feel like so many people that are just getting started, they they look at WOBA. Um, man, it's baseball season's back. Just saying that word makes me excited. <laughs> Woba is a good underlining stat, but there's just so much more to look at than just Woba, right? Like we we shouldn't be teaching people this guy has a 400 Woba, 
against left-handed batters, and this batter has a 500 Woba against right-handed pitchers. Now, if all the stats line up, and if it's that high, we're probably liking that guy. But there's so much more that goes into a matchup than just Woba. Absolutely. And and there's, I think what people lose sometimes, there's different components of Woba and different reasons for why it's high or low. You know, some stats are really stable. Some stats are really noisy. And you can have a high Woba that's driven by noisy stats, or you can have a high Woba that's driven by stable stats. And I think it's important to be able to tell the difference. So one of the biggest things um, that you and I argue with is lefty versus righty, righty versus lefty. This guy is really good against lefties. This guy is really good righty. Um, oh, yes. you, you know, it, the, the easiest person to talk about is like Nelson Cruz and James McCann. Like those are the guys. If you played DFS over the last four or five years, you've probably played either one of those guys against a lefty. Um, you like a large sample size. And we always argue about this. You know, just tell everybody, you know, kind of why you like a larger sample size when it comes to lefty versus righty, righty versus lefty, all that great um, stuff that we look at. Yeah, I like a large sample size because that's what the math says we should be looking at. It says that, you know, lefty versus righty splits, especially for hitters, especially for right-handed hitters, are just insanely, insanely noisy. Um, and, you know, some of the top sabermetricians in the world have run the math and shown this and, you know, the bat incorporates this math. And it basically just says, like, this is so noisy that if a guy is, you know, really, if a right-handed batter is really, really good against lefties for three seasons, that's still a small sample, even though our minds want to tell us it's not. Like, it takes a long, long time to really be able to trust this data. And so for me, I'm not really usually playing James McCann against lefties. No, which is fine. Um, I look at it as we play DFS and we're never going to have a large sample size or large enough sample size on something like that from a, an at-bat or, uh, you know, he's going to face a lefty for three at-bats and I'm more willing to take a shot on even like 30-day numbers sometimes. But I completely respect, you know, why you say it. I love to bust your chops about it. It's, it's super fun. <laughs> Especially the days that McCann hits home runs, uh, just just pull up Cardi's Twitter, and I, um, there's like I, 50 I people like messaging. Out, I would like to point out, last year James McCann he was awful. Was worse against lefties than he was against righties. <laughs> he was awful. Um, I didn't play him a lot last year for what it's worth. Like that's another thing. Like you gotta you gotta understand when a guy is just not doing well. <laughs> like, McCann was McCann had an awful year last year. Um, he was even you say he was better against righties. He was he stunk against those guys too. So yeah, he was bad against everyone. <laughs> yeah, it was it was a bad like McCann. We had a really strong two years. What there was another guy that did that. Like wasn't it Fegley? He had like two really strong years against like left-handed pitching. Is probably like right at two hundred at bats. And this is kind of what you're saying. Like you know when you get a righty-righty matchup, they're gonna face that that type of handiness you know, four to five, maybe even 600 times um, compared to maybe only facing 80 to 150 lefties. Right. So by the time you're getting five years of righty on righty data, you're barely getting enough to compile like a season's worth of, um, you know, lefty versus righty. And that's why, that's why Derek, you know, that's why you like the math. And like I said, we all, we, we, we use different ways to get there. 
Um, and, and, you know, obviously the bat does, does a lot of this and, um, bat will be back at RG this year. It will be, it should be, uh, dropping for pre-sales starting in about a week. So I'm excited for that. But like the lefty righty stuff is so interesting. And one of the ways I really like to take advantage of it, honestly, is to play these guys that are generally considered lefty mashers against righties because people don't like to play them. A guy like Wilmer Flores or a guy like Nelson Cruz, especially against a righty. I will play plenty of times because the math says they're still really good against righties also. And people generally kind of shy away from it because they're like, oh, he's a lefty masher. I don't need to play him against a righty. But uh, the, the difference in their talent level between righties and lefties is a lot smaller than people think. So some of the stuff that I've really gotten into over the last couple of years um, is hard hit data, like batted ball profiles, you know, pitch data, this guy throws this pitch X amount of times. And, you know, from a math standpoint, do you like data like that? Like this guy throws a fastball 70% of the time and this hitter is, you know, so much better against fastballs. Uh, do you look at that kind of stuff? Is that something that like that you like to use in your day to day? It's the kind of thing that, I don't have a strong opinion one way or the other just yet on anytime there's like new data or just something that there hasn't been a lot of research on. I like to take a more cautious approach and I like to actually study it and make sure that it's predictive and make sure that, you know, we know exactly how to use it and the right ways to use it and everything else and whether it's useful before diving all in with it. So like I've started looking at that type of stuff, you know, some of the tests have come out looking pretty good for it in terms of being predictive but I'm still not a hundred percent in on it yet, especially when you consider like, like the game theory aspect of it. Like if um, a hitter is, you know, really good against sliders, let's say the hitter's really good against sliders and the pitcher throws a slider. Well, the pitcher, you know, probably is going to be doing some advanced scouting, watch some tape before the game. He's going to know that the hitter's really good against sliders. He's probably not going to throw him a slider very often. And so even if we can say, with certainty that this hitter is a really great slider hitter, we don't necessarily know how many sliders he's even going to see. And so I think there's just kind of a lot of complicating factors like that that has me just a little reluctant to dive in until, you know, the research is a little more solidified. So the thing that I found, like what you're talking about, like good catchers do a ton of research every day. Um, I don't think people realize how much catchers are studying matchups each and every day. Um, but the one thing that I have really, like, started to do – is I like the guy to like say it's a four pitch or three pitch pitcher. I want him to be good at at least half of his pitches. Um, is something that like I've been looking at. Like he throws his fastball 50%, he throws his curveball like 20%, and that hitter is really good at both of those things. Um, then he's he, you know, you're taking away 70% of his pitches. And you know, as much as we want to think the pitchers and catchers are smart, they are, but when you're taking away 70%, you know, I, they're going to, they're eventually going to throw that, that nice little fastball or curveball um, is how I've been using the data over the last couple of years. And, and I think that's it, great. like, if you can find those guys that are, you know, able to hit well, the majority of the other pitchers pitches, I think that's probably, you know, if I were to guess a lot more valuable than the guy who hits the one pitch really well. And the pitcher throws that pitch a lot in general, but against that batter, maybe he won't. And, and like you said, this is all like, man, stat cast data and batted ball stuff is, is newer. Um, it's not batting average and it's not, um, 
ERA, um, but it, it's newer stuff, and you know you have to adapt, and that's any DFS sport or any sport you're gonna study or play. You have to adapt to changes, and you know we we get this data, and you got to be able to use it the right way. Um, you can't just look at a heat graph on fan graphs or rotor grinders or anywhere else and just be like, oh, this guy right here, it's all red. I got to play him. Th- that's the worst thing you can do. Completely agree. I think look at look at the why. <laughs> why is it all red? Um, look yeah. at the why. Make sure the why lines up. Um, that's so, so like that's that's exactly what I was gonna say. We're like, you need to understand what you're looking at. If you understand what you're looking at, it's so much more valuable than just kind of trusting it blindly because you know there might be exceptions or there might be you know caveats or whatever. So like the more you understand what you're looking at, whether it's a stat, whether it's you know, how a projection system works, which I'm always happy to answer questions about the bat. Like it just, it goes a long way towards actually being successful, I think. No, and that's smart. You know, you you put a lot of time and effort into building this bat. Um, why is it called the bat? <laughs> it's called the bat because initially when I was building it, I called it Batman because I was like, you know what? <laughs> That would have been so much better. I'm like, it's basically just like Batman. It has all these like cool gadgets and features and, you know, little tools and stuff that it, it incorporates and it's super badass and handsome and awesome like Batman. <laughs> but then I was like, you know what, if I call it Batman, I might get sued. And so that is true. I'll change it to the bat. <laughs> Solid. I just think of a bat, <laughs> like a night and the bat in the night. Um. Anyway. All right. We, we did ask Twitter if they had any questions. We were going to do a baseball podcast. And obviously, we have two different approaches to, you know, how we attack things. And it's always good to get, you know, some Twitter questions. I'm pulling it up as I'm delaying. Um, so you kind of already answered this question on Twitter. But the best, the best way to attack play drafts, MLB best ball championship, five points for a quality start, five points for a win. Um Talk more about plugging the bat into the Fangraphs auction calculator. Yeah, so the bat season-long projections are freely available over at Fangraphs, and they have a really awesome auction calculator where you can put input your exact league settings. Uh, you can say, I want to use the bat projections, and it will create an exact set of values and rankings for you for your specific format. So whether you're playing best ball, whether you're playing a season-long league or a head-to-head league or whatever, you can put in your settings and you can run it and you can get, you know, rankings from the bat and it's super useful. Um, I, I kind of think it's really awesome. Yeah. I'm going to have to check that out. Um, what <laughs> I said, this is going to take the whole podcast, but we're going to answer the question. I'll let you go first on, on this one. What's your number one priority when selecting hitters in MLB DFS? Oh geez. <laughs> so I said this one this one's gonna take a while, but I'll let you go first and then I'll give my thoughts. There's so much to it. Um honestly, I, I lean very, very heavily on the bat because pretty much everything I want to look at, I incorporate into it and it calculates it a lot more precisely than my brain can. But like the two big things, honestly, that I think drive projections the most, aside from the actual quality of the player, is the opposing pitcher and the ballpark. They are the two big things. And, you know, there's lots of other things that go into it, you know, weather, umpires, catcher framing, defense, all kinds of other things. But it seems like the two things that really drive it the most are the quality of the opposing pitcher and the quality of the ballpark. 
Yeah, and you know that's kind of where I was going to go. Um, yeah, ballparks are definitely important. I wouldn't say it's the number one thing that I look at, but pitchers. So uh, everybody asks me all the time, like what I spend my day on when it comes to MLB DFS, and I would say eighty-five percent of my day is looking at the pitchers because if I can break down a pitcher and figure out what he's not good at, then it's going to take me no time at all to know if I want batters against him, what type of batters I want against him. And, you know, obviously the ballpark, but pitchers I think are the most important thing when it comes to MLB DFS. I would always recommend spending my time on pitchers. I mean, Dean kind of says it on the, the flagship a lot, you know, when you're, cause he loves to talk about pitchers. He talked about all 30 in the first half hour of the show, but he's like, half hour. talk about pitchers. You're also kind of talking about hitters too. Because if you know which pitchers are bad or which pitchers you want to pick on, well, stands to reason some of the opposing hitters are guys you want to target. For sure. And, you know, that's sometimes how we find our stacks that we want to attack. Um, you know, we we find out certain things about certain pitchers. Like last year, it took me forever last year to stop stacking against Wade Miley. He started throwing a new pitch and it like threw me off so much. And like, I'm like, Wade Miley stinks. And all of a sudden... Way Miley started throing a pitch. What, was it like a splitter or something? I can't remember what it was. But it a cutter? I don't remember. I th- it might have been a cutter. I think you're right. Um, and it took me like a month of losing money stacking against him to like really dig in to why. Like, you, you that's another thing that like I, I obviously I made this mistake is just assuming that a guy is bad and his numbers are going to regress and not like finding out why he's doing um, better. And sometimes it's velocity. Yeah. Uh, <sighs> this type stuff is like, I think one of the next frontiers, it's stuff that I've been really looking a lot into and plan on incorporating into the bat in the near future. But there's so much value, I think to be had from, from that kind of pitch type stuff. Um, there's also a lot of complicating factors around it, but I think it's, it's really valuable if, if you kind of do it the right way. All right. So the next question we got here is how, they would love to hear how we tackle uh, tournaments in the process that goes into attacking tournaments on each slate. And I know, I don't even know how many, I know you're more of a cash game player. I don't even know if you even play a lot of tournaments. Do you? I play very few tournaments. I, I play cash games. I'm a cash game guy. I will put my cash lineup into a tournament. Um, but I don't play a lot of tournaments in general. I know a lot of users of the bat play them and do really well, and I talk kind of strategy with them, um, but I don't play a lot myself. So, um, I'm, again, we're opposites because I don't play a lot of cash games, if any, you know, for baseball. I play tournaments, and how I attack tournaments really depends on the day. Um, if there's a stack that I think is really, really good and it's going to be really, really chalky, I might play that stack with a low-owned pitcher. Um, I, as much as I love game theory, like I don't always use like, oh, this team's the best team. I gotta fade them because there's a reason that I think that's the best team. And you know, we get these you know gas can pitchers that just stink, and they're gonna give up a lot of runs. Um, and sometimes it's just better just to play that chalk and maybe leave out like a leadoff hitter or build the wraparound using the ninth hitter or something like that. But there's it honestly different strategies for different slates and pitchers and stuff like that. But I, like Derek's been talking about a lot. Um, it, it's really important to pay attention to weather and ballpark and umpires. Um, 
as far as everything else, you know, especially when you're looking at tournaments, just, you know, cause we talk about this all the time, Derek, a, a, a starting pitcher could potentially only be out there for three or four or five innings. Um, you got to do a little bit on the bullpen and, yeah. and the situation that's going on behind that starting pitcher as well. Absolutely. And you don't have to be contrarian at every spot in a GPP. You know, like you said, you can play that chalkier stack and you can fill in with more contrarian stuff around it. And, you know, I think I'm not a GPP guy, but I think that's perfectly viable. Yeah. Um, it's worked for me. I've, I've done, I've done pretty well in baseball. I'm pretty successful. Um, so I'm not going to complain about it. What players do you think will be the most underpriced and overpriced relative to bat expectations in the first month of the season? That's a good question. That's all you buddy. That is a good question. Um, the bat loves Joey Gallo's power this year. So I would imagine on Arlington days, it's going to like Joey Gallo a lot. And he's always a scary guy to play in cash games, but he's the right play a lot of times, I think. And there's going to be a lot of pitchers early in the season that people aren't really on that are going to be strong values, I think. Um, who's a good example? I think Colin McHugh is really interesting this year because he's like kind of a boring guy. He was in the rotation for a few years. Like nobody really thought much of him. You know, he was in the bullpen for a couple of years. People forgot about him, but the Astros lost a bunch of pitchers. You know, they're not going to have Keiko. They're not going to have Morton. They're not going to have McCullers. And they're going to have a back of their rotation with a bunch of no names, but they pitch with really good context. They have great offensive support. They will probably be pretty cheap. And these are some really talented guys. So a guy like McHugh, I'm kind of looking forward to him being like 7K, you know, being projected for 18 points and just eating up value with him. Yeah, and obviously, like, expectations and stuff like that for price and underprice, like, you know, just to kind of go off what you're saying, you also have to, like, just look at teams and look at her historical data, something that Cardi loves. Um, for guys that strike out, teams that have high strikeout rates and, you know, take advantage of uh, matchups like that, you know, obviously the Marlins this year are going to be – so bad. Um, so terrible. Any like, pick in Marlins Park is just going to be almost like an auto lock this year because they're bad. They strike out a lot, and it's the best pitcher's park in baseball. Like, it's just going to be – It's I, I almost am not looking forward to it because everyone's going to know to pick on the Marlins, and pitchers against them are going to be so overwhelming chalk, and it's just going to be so annoying, I think. Yeah. I, I, like, I don't disagree with you, but maybe it takes them a little while. Like, I don't even know. I haven't looked at opening day yet, but it's certainly something that I'm going to be looking at on opening day because that team, man, like, oh, that team is going to be really, really bad. Um, All right, so anybody that listens to the morning grind over the last couple of years or last year in particular knows how I feel about this next question. I'll let you um go first on this one. What impact will the new bullpen starters – have on projections and lineup construction this year i assume we're talking about like the the opener type things that like the rays in particular do that was yeah. Something, yeah that was something we saw for most of last year so we're already kind of uh you know accustomed to it it's something that the bat already accounts for i set it up to do it last year and it was valuable until it wasn't so like like because these these you know, obviously you're not playing the opener who's going to pitch one inning. You're playing the guy who comes in behind him and is going to throw five or six innings. And because they're technically relievers, you know, generally they come at lower salary and lower ownership and all that kind of good stuff. 
And a lot of times, you know, Ryan Yarbrough or uh, Yanni Chirinotes or guys like that, you know, we got a lot of value out of. And then we'd have a couple days where the Rays manager, Kevin Cash, would tell us it was going to be one guy, and that guy never entered the game at all. And those days were tilting as hell. And so that's the biggest challenge, I think, with this thing right now. But that's also what creates the edge with it. Um, obviously, you can get burned. But if you get burned at your pitcher spot, you're done. Um, you can have a, a, a hitter go over on a day. Now, I say you're done. I, I say probably 95% of the time you're done. If you have a lineup that just you get a lot of home runs that day and you're nailing your guys or whatever and your other pitcher does really well, you could still get there. But on most days, if you're taking a zero from your pitcher, um, you know, it's you're pretty much done. So uphill battle from there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uphill battle is what I was searching for. Um, yeah, it, it's so I hate it. I don't think it's baseball. Um, obviously, the times are changing and like we're going to have to adapt to it. There was a nice edge last year, not like just following and paying attention and reading what the beat writers were saying, listening to the coaches. Um, obviously, we got burned a couple times last year by it, but we were getting some of these guys in really, really good matchups at like less than 5% ownership at half the cost that we would have if he was starting. So just kind of points a lot of the times. Like a lot of these pitchers are, are fairly talented pitchers and they pitch in Tropicana, which is obviously really nice. So like, you know, it can really work out. Could really burn you too. Um, <laughs> very well. Oh my God. One night I was so tilted, like unbelievably tilted because they said, managers said Ryan Yarbrough's coming into the game and just did not pitch the entire game. Like just blatantly lied about it. Hey, he was sick. He caught, he caught, he ate the fish. <laughs> oh, Dino. Um, so this next question is interesting. I'll let you go first. Um, are you at a disadvantage if you only play MLB four or five times a week? I think a little bit of a disadvantage just because you're kind of missing some things. Like you're not as in tune with which players are doing well, which guys maybe are playing hurt, which is one of the most important things to be able to identify. And it's so difficult. Um, but you know, if you have a really strong process and, cheap plug here. If you're using a system like the bat that does a lot of the work for you, you can definitely get away with it. But um, playing every day does kind of keep you more in tune. And over the course of the season, it means you're going to play more slates, which means you're going to have um, a bigger sample size and the variance is going to even itself out, you know, better as opposed to, you know, maybe you miss a really strong day because you're not playing every day. If you play every day, it's going to even out and you should win by the end of the year. Got to trust the process. Exactly. I don't necessarily think you're at a disadvantage. Um, I don't play baseball on the weekends when I'm when NASCAR is going because I'm so busy. But I always leave my alerts on um, to try to make sure I'm not missing any news and trying to stay up with the news. But I also, like you said, I trust my process. I spend four or five hours every day. Now everybody doesn't have four or five hours every day, so you know that's where systems like the bat um and and other other ways to you know make your research process easier um we did a really good job our dev team the guys behind the scene with played iq last year they did a really good job with that so using that kind of stuff is very important um where do we rank joey Votto this year compared to other first basements 
I guess is this like uh, are we talking season long? Are we talking like a DFS kind of thing? Or I'm guessing he means season long. I don't. I'm just reading his question. Yeah, I mean Joey Votto is you know. If you're playing in an OBP league, like Joey Votto is super valuable, but he doesn't have a ton of power anymore. And so like he's probably like your fifth or sixth first baseman in a traditional league. Um, just because, you know, he doesn't he doesn't have that, you know, that power. You know, he's coming off kind of a down year. You know, he's he's great, but he's not like an elite guy. Joey Votto is a very good hitter, but he is the most frustrating person. I get so frustrated when I talk about Votto because he chokes up with two strikes and just puts the ball in play, which you're taught to do from the time you turn like seven or eight years old in little league and travel ball and all that stuff. Like you're taught to choke up, but when you get to the pros, you hit home runs, you cash checks, Votto. you cash checks. Every time I freaking see him choke up. Oh man. I lose my shit. Yeah. I mean, it comes with the territory when you roster him. Like you, you know, there's some days you're gonna get four, four singles because he gets two walks or you know whatever. Oh, you're gonna get four singles instead of just one one dinger. Um. <laughs> so, uh, all right, I, I saved this question for last because I figured we were gonna spend the most time on this before we get out of here. People ask. This is one of the most. This is one of the, the most asked questions that I get when every time I do Twitter questions when it comes to baseball is, do you always stack a lineup one, two, three, four, five? Do you always stack the lineup in a row, or is it better to find optimal players, you know, even in better spots? Um, you don't play a lot of tournaments, but I know you, Cardi. You're not against stacking in cash if it's the right situation. That's exactly it. If it happens organically, I'm completely fine stacking in cash. And, you know, because I'm waiting for it to happen organically, it definitely doesn't have to be one, two, three, four for me. You know, I can play, there have been days where I played, you know, the one, the three and the five hitter. Like it just, if it happens to work out that way, it happens to work out that way. And in GPPs, you know, maybe that's not, you know, the right approach, but in cash games, it definitely can be. So now in tournaments, when we're looking on FanDuel, I really like a four-on-four four stack. I like teams. I like getting four-on-four four from e from two different teams, whether it be the same game, if I think it's going to be one of those games or whatever. But I don't always necessarily do it one through four, two through five. I like to mix it up. And, and that's when you're looking at a popular stack. You know, we talked about this a few minutes ago in tournaments, like – I'm okay with playing the chalk, but that doesn't mean I need to, you know, necessarily stack it one through five. Um, I like using sometimes the bottom of the order. Um, if I think the team is going to score a lot and the top of the order is going to produce, that means the bottom of the order is going to get just as many at bats and they're in just as good a spot. Now those hitters are not as good, but you're going to get them at you know a tenth of the ownership. So I, I don't necessarily always stack one through four. Um, there are certain days where you want to stack one through four, like the four best hitters in that lineup are hitting one through four. Um, and I think it's so, depends too on what you think the ownership is going to be. Like if it's going to be a really low owned stack, you don't need to get cute and play the bottom of the order hitters. Right. But if it's a, a chalky stack, then maybe you do. Yeah. Like when you're stacking the Marlins, you can stack one through five all day. Um, <laughs> because nobody's going to be stacking them. Somebody's going to win a tournament with a Marlins stack this year. It's going to happen. It's so funny when it happens. Like, it's it's going to happen. It's going to be hysterical. 
I kind of want to like every day in like the $2 GPP or something, $3 GPP, just make a, make a Marlin stack every day until it hits and then stop doing it. But um, I don't want to donate too much. So um, that's pretty much all that we're going to do for today. We'll have you on throughout baseball season. You can find Cardi with the bat and all that great stuff on Twitter at Derek Cardi. Um, Derek, any final thoughts before we get out of here? No, thanks for having me on. This has been uh, this has been a lot of fun. I'm very excited for baseball. As am I. As am I. Anybody that listens to me during baseball season, they know I get excited about it. NASCAR's back, so baseball's right around the corner. So, um, one one last question, Cardi: Are hot streaks real? Absolutely not. All right. And on that note, we're gonna get out of here. I'm gonna take my hot streak and self um, to my my bed and go to sleep. <laughs> We'll be back tomorrow talking some more basketball. Good luck, and we'll see you then.